Hey everybody, it's Eric Torenberg, co-founder, partner of Village Global, a network-driven venture firm. And this is Venture Stories, a podcast covering topics relating to tech and business with world-leading experts. Awesome. Let, let me know when you're recording as well. Uh, I'm recording. Cool. Awesome. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Village Global's Venture Stories. I'm here today with a very special returning guest, Greg Eisenberg. Greg, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, Eric. Feels good to be back. So, so Greg, every year we do a consumer social roundup. We used to do it with Donnie Dinch and, and Galpert. You know, earlier this year, we lost Dinch. Uh, now we're losing Galpert. Only one can remain. Um, we're here to do a consumer social roundup. Uh, we haven't spoken since COVID. So why don't we sort of start there? How has COVID uh, hit consumer social? What has it meant for the space? Obviously, you started a, a company in the space a few years ago, Islands. It was sort of in the nuclear winner. Uh, and then consumer social is get, getting more excited. Presumably, it's been accelerating under COVID. Why don't you talk about your, your own sort of journey and evolution? And then let's talk about how the space has evolved uh, since. Totally. So, yeah, I mean, you know, 2016, I started a company in the nuclear winter of social. Um, this is an era when... Facebook was going to copy you. Facebook is eating the world. And, you know, it ba- there was basically such a small amount of venture capital allocated to social. So, you know, me- people like me and Galpert and Dinch, you know, we're crazy. And, uh, we, you know, just because there was a lack of funding was you know, didn't mean we weren't going to go and start stuff. So started a company. Uh, it was like Slack for college. Sold it to WeWork. Joined as the head of product strategy at WeWork. And yeah, now now I'm back in the game, um, and I'm back in the game um, primarily. You know, one of the reasons is because I love building internet communities, and you know, COVID has made consumer social hot again um, for the first time since 2008, 2009, 2010. Yeah, and how you've chosen an interesting structure to how you want to sort of build and work with companies in the space. You could have just started a company. You could have just, you know, been focused as an investor. How have you sort of chosen your hybrid model? Why don't you discuss the model and then chose how you, how you landed at, on it? Yeah, totally. So, you know, 2020 hit, COVID hit. And I looked at it and I said, you know, there's just, you look at, you know, I, I use the example of Reddit. There's so, you know, so many communities thriving on Reddit. Facebook groups has over a billion monthly active users. You know, there's been this shift from, broadcast, I want to broadcast everything to small group, you know, communication. Um, people want to be with their, like their homes. They want to be with their, their, their people. And I just believe that there's an opportunity to build, you know, hundreds of multi-million user vertical networks over the next five years. And when I looked at that and I said, like, do I want to start a company, raise venture capital and go build, you know, a social app? I was kind of like, no, I, I, I think there's too much opportunity and I want to work on multiple things. I want, you know, the idea for Late Checkout, which is um, my new company, um, we do three things. Number one is a product studio that builds internet communities and products that bring people together. So we fund our own ideas. We launch products. Number two, we have an agency where we work with some of the, like, the leading technology companies, internet communities. And number three is we have a fund where we acquire internet communities. So that's, that's the structure. And the reason why we're doing it is because there's, there's a lot of ground to cover. Yeah. And, and, and talk, let's talk about sort of the, the white space or let's get into some, some ideas. Where are interesting opportunities now that you might want to build, invest in, or, or just see happen? Some of the ways you've described it are sort of the unbundling of Facebook, of, of Reddit, of, of LinkedIn. How do you sort of you know, think about the white space and let's get into some, some of those opportunities? Totally. I mean, I think what's, I mean, you know, broadly speaking, I think what's happening is that all these companies just got really big. I mean, Facebook is what, a $750 billion company? These products, you know, have become extremely bloated. And then, you know, you and I have talked about like LinkedIn before, for example, um, over the years, like it's been years now, you know, and LinkedIn does a lot of things great when you look at that as, as an example. But like, is there an opportunity to take a piece of LinkedIn and just focus it on, you know, frontline workers or designers or engineers and build like LinkedIn for X. Absolutely. And there's, you know, that's what's happening. And that's where the opportunity is. 
And, you know, that's why, you know, for those listeners who don't know, like when people talk about unbundling or bundling, like we're kind of exiting a bundling era and we've moved into this unbundling era. Um, so that's like a really important thing. And the second important thing is that, and we've never talked about really is like this, this sort of like this no code, low code movement and how fast it is to create stuff. So, you know, I think there's such an opportunity for like anyone listening who's like passionate about, you know, could be anything from, you know, green tea and creating like a vertical network for green tea or, you know, if you're a cashier, like creating a LinkedIn for cashiers and just thinking about, you know, all these different problem sets, there's just a lot, you know, and, and I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to just jam with you. Like, I'd love to use this time, if it's cool, to yeah. just like talk about ideas. You know, what are you seeing that, what are different vertical networks or, you know, you know, areas of the internet that you think could be unbundled right now? Well, one, th- one thing I just want to, want to mention first is that because whenever we talk about vertical networks, people often say, yeah, but how, how big can it be? Can it be venture scale? I think what you're saying first off is that you don't care if it's venture scale because, because of no code, because it's easier to get things off the ground, because you could charge earlier, you actually don't need to raise money off this. That said, uh, you, you had this one tweet where, where Sony uh, was, was rumored, I guess, to pay $1.5 for Crunchyroll, which is a network for manga and anime. And that's, you know, that's pretty niche, you, you, you'd think. And so the idea to build compelling multi-billion, you know, or billion dollar companies in the space seem, seems excited. I mean, one thing that I've been curious about just to pick, to pick a sector. So I, I've been pretty um, interested by, intrigued by Clubhouse and sort of what, what other opportunities can, can emerge. One that I'm, I'm curious about is, is sports. I feel like we have not channeled the energy of sports fans to sort of talk shit with each other, to analyze plays with each other, to really you know, build and, and find camaraderie with each other in, in, a, in a really strong vertical network in, this, in the way that Discord has for, for gamers. I think there's a huge opportunity in sports. I know there are challenges around sort of the rights issues and, and, and stuff like that, but that to me seems like, seems like a big opportunity. The other one uh, I'll, I'll mention really quick, and this is less of a vertical, but more of a, um, of a digital experience. I, I'm in Prescott, Arizona. You know, I haven't seen people in, in a while. I, I, I want to simulate a group event where I'm not just talking to one person, but I'm overhearing conversations that other people are having. I could sort of seamlessly navigate between conversations. I've seen people try to emulate that in the office, um, digital offices. Um, but I, I think there's you know, how, how do you make sort of group bar experiences or group experiences native to the internet is, is something I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about. Okay, let's, let's double click into sports to begin with. Sure. So I've also, you know, I, th- I think a little bit about sports too, because what's happened was, you know, with COVID obviously is that we aren't able to visit our favorite bars and, you know, arenas to like access the community of sports. And then when you go online, they're like the only place to talk about sports is in group chats, like with your friends. That's number one. Number two, it's um, like go to a subreddit like NBA or whatever, or Facebook group, or like Twitter, like NBA Twitter is a really big thing and stuff like that. The problem with Twitter is, you know, it works if you, you know, if it's you or I and we tweet, like some people like our tweets, but for the vast majority of people, they tweet and no one listens. Yeah. And that's where it breaks down. So, you know, so yeah, I mean, that's the question, right? So like, this is a great example of like, okay, how do you unbundle the subreddit and, you know, NBA? So what are some ideas that you would have in terms of how you would unbundle it? It's interesting. I mean, so Bleacher Report sort of what they did is they made a whole new class of like writers that that were able to emerge and get discovered. I I remember sort of Ben Rubin talked about how Meerkat the, the reason why he thinks it didn't take off is that there aren't exactly these sort of like video stars that he thought would take off in the same way that, that YouTube stars took off for, Mir- for Meerkat. I, I think for sports, I, I wonder if there is a latent demand for like announcers or hearing like Stephen A. Smith. Mm-hmm. I, like, I'm sure people have friends who are like, hey, that, this person is as entertaining or talking about sports. Stephen A. Smith. Stephen A. Smith is a phenomenon. He would not be a phenomenon if he was just on Twitter. But hearing his voice is so powerful so I, I wonder if it's the audio, either play by play or just sort of like just audio insights, because we, we have sort of lo- localized, you know, Twitter sport, sports stars. But I wonder if that's an avenue that hasn't yet been democratized in a way that you could discover new, new Stephen A. Smith or new, you know, the connection between Barkley and, um, you know, 
whatever, Shaq and Ernie Johnson, Kenny Judd Smith, that's a powerful chemistry. I wonder if there's some friend groups who, who have that chemistry who, who would get audience. I think it's like Clubhouse or what I think Clubhouse will turn into eventually is a star driven community where it's a small amount of people, just like Twitter, who, who have a lot, a lot of audience and a lot and like radio, basically. So could you make sort of, you know, more democratized social radio for, for sports? Okay, so that's interesting. Uh, I'll, I'll throw another idea out there. So, like, when I think of, like, a great sports game, I think of, like, moments. So, you know, every, especially during playoffs. Like, you know, when you talk about, like, let's say a finals game, you know, you, you, you talk to your friend about the three, four, five, six moments. So the question is, how do you break down, um, like, a game into moments? So basically, you go onto this website, you know, nbamoments.com. And, you know, after the fact, you see like the five or seven moments, not like in Twitter moments, but I mean, like, like a beautiful timeline of what's happened and then allow anyone, because that's the problem with Clubhouse is like, yes, you know, if okay, LeBron, if LeBron James is going to go in Clubhouse and, you know, it's at this point, it's open to everyone. Like there's going to be a million people, you know, listening and then like five people talking and that that's where it becomes less fun. Like it becomes fun when you're able to like engage with someone and get feedback quick. So thing, I think there's an opportunity to create a social network. I would start with one team. That's how I'd start. Like forget, forget, forget like sports, forget NBA, like Toronto Raptors. You're built, you, you know, how do you build a social network for the Toronto Raptors? Distill it to the five to 10 moments every single game, allow anyone to engage in discussion, get feedback really quickly, reward those people for contributing, you know, no, I'm no longer going to the bar and Jimmy, the bartender is like, Hey man, did you see the game? And like, like, you know, you know, I want to go to a place where I'm known and, and it's, it's recreating that. I like it. I, I think it makes a lot of sense. One sort of somewhat adjacent idea I have is I would, and I'm sure some people are doing it. I would love to see people better quantify fandom and this isn't just sports, but basically allow, make everything into collectibles like memes, mm-hmm ideas, you know, organizations, even people. Basically, if you're excited about something, you know, like let's say you're the first to discover Stratechery, I don't know, or or some musician or some whatever, you can sort of just buy this thing and it says, almost like CryptoKitty style, like you're the first person to do it. (laughs) That there's a second person, third person, fourth person. Um, You you can also imagine like crypto, it sort of, you know, like you're staking it and it it becomes more valuable. But even if you took out that part, I think people would, would pay just for the association to be able to say, hey, I was early in discovering this thing. I think quantifying mm-hmm. fandom, the joke I had, title I had for this was prove you're a hipster. Mm-hmm. But I, I think there's something really interesting there because people want to build identity around sort of niche things that they're excited about. They're always looking for new ways to build identity. And they also want to promote it. They also want to say, like, this artist is amazing. This, this th- meme is amazing. This team is amazing. I actually think it's two things. I think it's people want to be the first. So to your point, people want to be the first. And number two, people want to be like the equivalent of like, you know, if you remember Foursquare, the mayorship. Yes. I'm the mayor of this, you know, Carbone in New York. And then you just like tell all your friends. I'm the biggest fan of, you know, the Toronto Raptors. And so I think there's a social network around, Absolutely that around, you know, bragging that you're the biggest and the first. Yeah. And I kind of feel like we're missing that a little bit on the internet today. I love social networks. I love social apps that um, are kind of like a treasure hunt that you can like go and like explore and things happen. And so I definitely, I definitely see that as an opportunity um, for sure. I haven't stayed close to Foursquare. Do you know much about how, how, like, why didn't they do this? Do you know what, how, how they've evolved or... They like pivot. I'm pretty sure they pivoted to like a B2B data play, right? <laughs> okay, like, maybe. you know, in the, in the nuclear winter, they just went south. Yeah. And I'm sure they built a really big business. It's just, you know, don't start a social app to build a big business. Yeah. Totally. Start a social app because you're going to have the time of your life. You're going to learn about how people behave. Yeah. You're going to be, you know, I think the best product people are game developers or consumer social people. Yeah, because they understand how to design products to make people do things and they have to go deep into people's brains. Yeah. Another an adjacent idea I, I'm excited about. I, I still think there's more opportunities to do things around money 
Uh, I'll give two, two examples here. One is, I brought this up last time, but I still, receipts. There's something to be, to be done about receipts. You know, Venmo cracked into a little bit, but more really like building an identity around like, here's the stuff I care about. And this is maybe backing into the fandom idea. It's like, I care about this restaurant. I care about this charity. I care about, you know, this artist. Like, these are my, I'm a patron. Almost like Patreon, I feel like it's a transaction platform, but it's not really an identity platform. I don't go to anyone's like Patreon to see like, who they are. I, Angelist, I do, right? Like, you're like, oh, yeah, you back down with your friends with Greg. Like, there is some identity that Angelist has built, which is really interesting. It's, it's niche to startups, of course, and angel investing. But there's something around money that's interesting, your receipts, because it's this data source we're not leveraging, and it could be tied to identity. The second thing, this is more connected to the Angelist ideas. I want, like, people going crazy around stock investing, right? Stonks. There's, like, whole movement. And I wonder why people aren't doing it way much, way more in public. Like, here's my entire like social, like really just see what everyone's portfolio is, you know, be able to comment on it and stuff like that. Like, I wonder if, if people would, would enjoy that, learn from that. And if that could be, you know, a social network. Well, I think, I don't know if you've seen public.com. No, I, I've heard of it, but I, they're probably trying to do the exact same thing. Yeah. They're, you know, they're, I'm an advisor there and they're a late checkout client and they, they're just trying to do a similar thing um, around kind of like getting, you know, putting stuff in more in the open um, but going back to your original comment around like money and receipts, like I believe a purchase is just another way of saying a vote of confidence. When you buy something, you're basically just like, I believe in this thing. And does it make sense that that transaction is private? It, you know, I mean, sometimes depending on what you're buying, but I think like, you know, to build upon your idea you know, can you create, like, especially with people staying at home and buying, okay, people are staying at home a lot, and they're buying a lot of stuff on the internet. And I don't have a place on the internet to show my votes of confidence, besides my Venmo feed, or whatever. So like, can I have like a 3D kind of Fortnite for my stuff that people like, I like, I'm looking at your we're on zoom right now. And I'm looking at your Arizona house. And I'm like, I don't know what there's an art piece there with like, is that a teapot or something like that? Like I want to, I want to go into my friend's houses and see like virtually and see what they have. And I want to be able to buy them. And why doesn't that exist already? Yeah. Like uh, Fortnite meets Venmo feed. That makes a lot of sense. Um, Another sort of interesting, like in COVID you'd think that there'd be some like breakout dating social network, right? Like isn't, isn't now the time for new, like people desperate for, for new, new formats, you know, asking for a friend, of course, but um, like, what, don't you respect, are, are you seeing anything new in, in dating? Um, not enough. I think that there's a, like a huge opportunity and people, first of, first and foremost, people pay for dating apps. So I don't know why more people aren't creating dating apps right now. If I were creating a dating app, I would make it audio first. So when you think about the the resolution of formats, you have like, text which is impersonal then you have on the on the other end of the spectrum you have like in person which is obviously like super personal and then right before that you have facetime so you know in the digital context you basically have text on on one end and video on the other end audio is this kind of like perfect in the middle you know i might not be ready to like video chat with someone but i might be down to just like give someone a voice note so i think a voice note dating app and voice notes are another thing that's super popular internationally, not that popular in the U.S., but I think if you build a voice note, if anyone's building this, like, hit me up. I'm, I'm you know, interested in investing, you know, a, a, a voice note-based dating app. And I think we can learn a lot, like, you can learn a lot about someone through their voice. Like, I've, I've I, you know, I'm seeing someone now, but in the past, like, I've, I've, I've had a phone call with someone and I feel like that voice is just like, I, I don't know, I don't know if they're the one. Yeah. How do you think about async versus synchronous? Like a clubhouse style versus, you know, uh, you know recorded? Yeah. Synchronous, or, or is it, you know, another way of thinking about it is like a, lo- a live is just a lot harder to do yeah. and get right. So like people who are thinking about building social apps just know that you're like, if you're doing a synchronous thing, it's going to be harder. Yeah. Um, if you're doing an asynchronous thing, it's going to be a lot easier. So, I mean, I tend to like to focus on you know, what I call asynchronous-ish, which is, you know, sync, you know, not completely synchronous, but not completely async, somewhere yeah. in the middle. 
I think there's a lot of opportunity to build asynchronous products uh, over the next five years. I'll give you an example. I think that we're overloaded with Slack messages or Microsoft Teams or whatever. Basically, work-based messaging products are taking over our lives. Um, And I think there's a huge opportunity to build something that's a bit more, um, you know, less email, but less messaging somewhere in between. Yeah. Interesting. Remember, um, I think it was called, was it called talk show? Michael Sippy. Um, the the texting, um, I still think that something can be done there because I mean, some exchanges are just really funny. Uh, I wonder if they're also really funny to other people or it almost has a little bit of like text from last night feel like, um, I wonder if there's something that could be done around that. Do you have a take? I mean, my take on, on my thesis on messaging is that we're at like messaging overload right now and we're looking for higher resolution yeah. stuff. So I would, you know, I'm more interested in creating video based or audio based stuff. Um, and there's just not enough people working on social apps right now. Like I can think of only, I don't know if you're seeing a ton of like, maybe you're seeing a ton of consumer social app companies, or, you know, but I'm, I'm actually... I'm seeing just a few, not enough. And I think like, I, I want to see more experimentation. Yeah. I'm not seeing enough. I'm seeing like um, social stuff around the office a lot. Everyone's right. like, how do we make, you know, remote teams easier. But I mean, do you think that there's a new version of like a chat roulette or an Omegle? Like, I wonder if there's sort of like, like it's weird when I want to hang out with my friends, why am I using work tools? Why am I using like, like I, there should be something that's more specified to social. I know it's like, in some ways, enterprise stuff is, is, is getting better and getting more social, but I feel like, yeah, I want to see more experimentation there. So I think, I don't know. Do you remember Sean Parker's airtime product? Uh, yes. I don't, I remember it was a video based product. I don't remember the exact version of it. Everyone who's listening to this needs to watch the video. I don't know if it's still up, but check on YouTube. I'm sure you can find it. Uh, maybe we can link it in the show notes or something yeah, like that. Um, that, Basically, what he created was a chat roulette. Those of you who don't remember, you basically like press a button, you get paired to hopefully not a human genitalia. Um, but you get paired with a, a person, and you could talk to them or you can skip. And what Sean Parker, you know, president of Facebook and and co-founder of Napster and board member of Spotify, what he did, which was brilliant, was this um, concept that basically you would put in, you connected with your Facebook. It grabbed all your interest, your interest, and where you're from, and all that stuff. Back when people actually like updated their Facebook, and then it would connect you based on um, who they thought, who the algorithm thought you might be interested in. So let's say I live in, you know, Soho or whatever in New York. It would connect me with someone potentially from Soho, or someone you know worked in tech or worked in whatever. And I, it was like live, not for very long. Like it was live for like a couple months or a few months or whatever, and you know, they spent like $20 million. It was a whole big thing. But the point I'm trying to make is it was a simple product that connected you around interests in a serendipitous, like fun slot machine way. And I love products that are like slot machines. Yeah. You, you know, you pull the thing and you don't know what you're going to get next. And it made it a lot fun. And the best part about it is, is you know, it, it's kind of like, I'm also obsessed with products that are alternatives to Facebook, Facebook Inc., you know, Instagram, et cetera. And it's interesting now, like that product would do super well now because people just want to like hang out, meet new people, but they want, it needs to be based on something. It can't yeah. just like the problem with chat roulette and Omigo and all these like kind of sketchy video stuff is that, you know, it's sketchy. Yeah. It feels like you're like walking around like the red light district at three <laughs> in the morning. <laughs> like we don't want that. Right. We want it like, you, you know, it needs to feel like going into like your favorite coffee shop or needs to feel like going into your like favorite cocktail bar, your favorite restaurant. And like, Oh my God, you see someone who looks interesting and you want to go up to them and talk to them. And that needs to be, and that's why like when people are like, Oh, like, you know, is there room for more social apps? I'm like, we have not reached the pinnacle of social experiences using technology. Yeah. I refuse to believe it. Yeah. You, you, um, let's go deeper. You mentioned you're excited about things that are sort of like, you know, alternatives to Facebook Inc or sort of, you know, unbundling in interesting ways. Obviously there's, there's vertical groups. We'll, we'll get to that. Are there other sort of creative approaches? I mean, I'm seeing some people try to create like 
pseudonymous identity networks. That's, that's like one example of something that like obviously Facebook can never do. Are there other things um, that come to mind for you uh, in terms of like what are alternatives or, or different you know versions that you'd like to see? Um, yeah, you know, I'll just I'm just thinking of things that I've seen recently that I thought were interesting. There's a there's an app that called I think it's me. I don't know if you've seen it. It's like an avatar based. Have you seen it? No, no, I haven't seen it. Okay, basically the way it works is. Um, you download the app, you customize your avatar, and then you chat roulette style connect with someone. And you, so let's say I press connect and I say like, I want to be connected. There's sort of like a quasi dating element. It's like, I want to be connected with females. And then I connect with a female and I see their avatar and, and I see them as they're talking, like I can hear it and I can see them moving their body and moving their head. So it's kind of like, you know, before we were talking about that spectrum on the left, you know, text, text is sort of, you know, lowest revolu- uh, resolution on the, on the right, you know, video. And in the middle audio, you kind of have three quarters where you have this like audio plus avatar kind of world. So I think um, there's some interesting stuff to be done in avatar first social um, stuff. I think there's been people who've been trying this obviously for a while, but I think, you know, now is the time. Like, basically, if you want to start a social app, what I would do is look at, like, every venture, like, look at every Greylock, Sequoia, Benchmark, social app companies that were funded between 2005 and 2018. Like, go and, like, just, like, mark them all and just, like, okay, this company. What did, what did they try to do? Can you get their deck? And what did they learn? And go speak to the founder. And, and just, like, because there's all, basically all those ideas probably could work now or at least a lot of them can work let's talk about some ideas like what ideas come to mind for you that were tried back then but didn't didn't necessarily take off for whatever reason maybe we were just talking about meerkat earlier i mean highlight was location-based and it's harder in covid like what idea you know we talked about um the uh, talk show the the texting one what other ideas come to mind for you that you know market jason has this line there there are no bad ideas just uh, too early ideas what comes to mind for you when, when, when you do that exercise I mean, I disagree with Mark and Jason. I think there are bad ideas, but I think we can learn from them. Yeah. You know, comes top to, top of mind. Like, I still think there's a huge opportunity in music. Like, if you remember the Spotify Facebook ticker integration was kind of interesting, where you know Spotify was like pushing what people were listening to to Facebook, and it was really cool because you were learning about what people listen to. So I think there's a ton of opportunity to build like the anti-Spotify that's more social. I think, yeah, and then past examples, like, I'm just thinking music, like SoundCloud was close, you know? Like, the the time-based comments was interesting. You know, I wish they would have, like, I wish they would have doubled down on social. I don't know how you feel about SoundCloud. Yeah, no, I I feel like it's become a utility, and it's like, why do I even need it if I need Spotify? But I I think, yeah, the comments could have been really interesting. You could build identity around it, connected people around it. Another another app which I think is was interesting, which probably not many people remember, is an it was an app called Local Mine, started by Lenny Rachitsky, um, who's amazing. Um, go follow him on Twitter. He sold that to Airbnb, and it was a cool concept at the time. It was like early mobile days, maybe like 2010, 2009. And basically it was an app that allowed you to ask questions to people at particular locations. So obviously. COVID era, you might not need the location piece, but I think there's something really interesting about building Q, like Q&A. Like Quora has like some of the best content on the internet, um, but it feels like it's stagnating a little. And what I, what I learned from Local Mind is that there potentially is interesting opportunities to layer on a use case plus Q&A. Use case here being like, it used to be like uh you know, people, is there a line at the bar? Yeah. I, I think Jelly was trying to do something in, 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 in this space too. I, I've long wanted something that combines sort of the dynamism of Twitter uh, right. with sort of the the durability of Quora. Um, like their, their search is great. You know, um, I, I sometimes find things that were written, you know, a decade ago. But yeah, there needs to be more just aliveness to it or just reason to, to engage. And yeah, it's crazy. Quora is some of the best content on the internet. Twitter has some of the worst content on the internet, yet I check Twitter every day. <laughs> and core, you know, rarely. What was Justin Kahn's thing? With the live, 
whale. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, keep lying. That was cool. Yeah. Like whale would work today. Yeah. I think whale was very cool. I, I um and I think what's cool about something like that is is you could combine that with sort of trans you could trans there's a lot of great answers in that and you could transcribe them. I mean it, it is like some of the best content today in the world happens on podcasts. Right. Yet we don't have like a social network around sort of maybe you have genius could have gotten into this eventually like I, I you know annotating transcripts or building sort of like you know like I would love to be friends with people who like the same pod, the same niche obscure podcast, right? Yep. Or like going back to our NBA Toronto Raptors example is like every great podcast has five or 10 great moments, hopefully. And it's like, how do you extract that, put that somewhere and allow people to meet like-minded people to discuss those, those moments. Totally. And I I keep getting transfixed by this idea that, you know, when you want to search for a book on Amazon, you know, you go to Amazon and then you see all the books that are like it and you just do it on this rabbit hole of that. Um, and that doesn't really exist for people. I mean, Twitter is, is a you know, non-algorithm way to, way to do it, but I, I just feel like we can be making way better recommendations for, or like for, for, for people. And I think, you know, one easy way, low hanging fruit is just like a lot of people bond over certain common interests. It, it, for a lot of people, if you said, Hey, if you're a fan of this writer or this, you know, th- you know, organization or this, whatever, you know, we'll have, we'll probably share similar values and have really great conversation at the least. And so ways that we can match people up or even just, you know, let like show people what those are, just seems like, um, seems like a big opportunity. People haven't really figured it out. Maybe they figured it out in like different niches, like books for Goodreads, but I don't know. I mean, I would start with go reinvent the book club yeah, and pick a vertical, go reinvent the book club, go check on Reddit. What do you, what, who is going to be the most passionate vertical, go reinvent the book club, go charge $20 a month recurring yeah. revenue. $30 a month, whatever, build a beautiful brand landing page and spend some money on customer acquisition to get people get, get like incentivize people in that community from that subreddit to bring them onto the platform. And beauty about book clubs is it's inherently viral. Cause you're bringing in like five, 10 people. They're going to talk about it. Oh, I just read a book on, you know, Shakespeare in my book club on XYZ platform. Oh, what's XYZ platform? Totally. Oh, like there's no, no one owns book clubs on the internet. Yeah. yeah that, 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 that's, that's a big opportunity for sure. When we talk about unbundling Reddit, uh, you, you mentioned sort of go for, you know, the groups that are most active. What groups come to mind for you that you think are underserved in terms of like, oh, I potentially invest in something in, in this space or with your request for startups in terms of like maybe audiences that you want people to, to build for? I really like new audiences that didn't exist six months ago, 12 months ago, two years ago, I generally don't like to compete with, let's just say it's easier to create a, a product for a new community than it is to create a product for an old community. You know, maybe it's, there's a new game that's coming out and not out, it's not out yet, but there's an opportunity to build a, you know, some product for that community, be it, let's say fan art or whatever. And I think, yeah, so I, I think a lot about that. So examples of like new, maybe like, uh, you know, what's a, what's a, there's probably a lot more like DoorDash, you know, DoorDash delivery people now. So yeah. like, how do you create something for them or, so, and I think, I think that, you know, yeah. So that, that's, that's how I think about it. That's my framework. Yeah. New audiences that, that didn't exist or sort of uniquely empowered that, that are, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. What, what do you think StockX t- or Goat t- t- tapped into? I mean, these are sort of interesting c- communities. Well, you know, I think a few things. I, th- I think that, you know, both, well, sp- you know, let's just talk about Goat. I think Goat especially created a brand that really resonated with that particular audience. I mean, literally the name Goat, yeah. like it's perfect. And, and Goat was competing at the time with eBay. eBay, Electronic Bay. <laughs> Like how, you know, it doesn't get more nineties than that. So I think like a, you know, fresh coat of paint, fresh brand, you know, solve two to four of like killer, killer pain points of that particular audience, like verification, pricing, et cetera. Understood mobile user, uh, mobile customer acquisition really well and grew with the community, like was constantly like speaking with the community and getting feedback. 
in a, in a market that like no one took seriously. Yeah. Like no one took sneakerheads seriously. And I bet like, I think they just did go get valued at a, more than a billion dollars. Yeah. Did I read that? Yeah. I mean, you know, the reason why, you know, earlier we were talking about vertical networks and, you know, the age old, whoa, like how big of a market could it really be? And it's like, well, maybe 10 years ago, it couldn't be, you know, these things couldn't be billion dollar opportunities. But because how big these large tech companies have become, if you become 1% of Facebook, you're like a $5 billion, $7 billion company. If you become 1% of Netflix, you're yeah. a few billion. You know, so it's in Crunchyroll being another example, right? Like market cap of Netflix, I don't know what it is, probably like hundreds of billions of dollars to 1%. Yep. You're talking about sort of building things on top of new audiences. There are also you know, new new platforms, of course. We talked a little bit about audio being in the middle of, of video and, and text. What else are you excited about in the realm of audio? You mentioned, of course, dating. I, I, uh, I've seen some people who are sort of working on actually like sex-related things with, with, with AirPods. Um, there are other sort of you know, social networks that have tried to um, be emerged, built off of, uh, off of audio. W- where do you see uh, potentially exciting there? Like what hasn't been done yet there? I mean, I don't think anything has been done in audio yet. Yeah. To be honest, like Clubhouse still has like 10,000 users. Yep. There's more than 7 billion people on this planet. And for those in the audience who think that like, oh, I can't start an audio network because Clubhouse is raised at a $100 million valuation, et cetera. Like you ain't seen nothing yet when it comes to audio. Yeah. This is just, just the beginning. I, I still haven't seen, I mean, there's a chalk app. Yeah, I don't know if you played with that. Like, there's there's a few people trying stuff out, but I, you know, I think what people need to do is go a bit, you know, less like Clubhouse for X and more, you know, pick an audience, think about audio, and just think, just it can be completely different. It can be completely completely different. Totally. So, I think that, yeah, a lot of opportunity. Yeah, and I, I like I like sports for that one just because I feel like there's unique sort of audio content that that's emerged from it, but but other ones are you know, big, big opportunities uh, as well. I think one of your, I mean, who would have thought that there would be like a Twitch for, is it ASMR? Yeah. I mean, just who would have thought that a community like that would be so rabid and so, you know, even as, as big as it is. Um, Twitch, Twitch for X, super big. Clubhouse for X, super big. LinkedIn for X, super big. HQ Trivia, don't sleep on it for X, super big. You know, people sleep on HQ Trivia because like, you know, the, the narrative is that, it was really big and then it came out really big. You know, there was something magical about a video based trivia based interactive TV type experience. It's going to be, there's a ton of opportunity to look at. Totally. I think there's a, a, a tension when you're building a social thing for a demographic of like, are you trying to help people in this space get money? Are you trying to help them mm-hmm. um, date? Are you trying to help them, make friends. And sometimes these sort of overlap, right? People say, do they say every messaging thing becomes a dating thing or, or, or right. something like that or professional thing? How do you sort of think about these sort of like core, you know, motivations that people have and whether you design for one of them, multiple of them, you know, none of that. How, how do you think? Rick? I think, I think people want to, they, for social apps, at least they either want to, you know, the saying is get paid, get laid, but there's also learn. They want to learn. Yeah. So that there's a whole, you know, cottage industry around upskilling and reskilling. And there's a whole social element of that. You know, I talked about in my, one of my sub stacks about the unbundling of Udemy yeah. and how the next generation of education startups are not, you know, are basically going to have a social component to it and have like small group classes and building bonds like that. And I know you, you, have been also talking about, you know, unbundling of universities and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, I would say learn, be entertained. Entertained is a big one. Um, and we've seen that with TikTok and, and then paid and laid. That's yeah. simple as that. Totally. On, on, the, on the university thing, I would just say, uh, Bern Hobart has this great piece. Um, he's a great writer and he, he's, he says, Lambda is fascinating, but he thinks what really is disrupting education is, is YC actually. And he says like what, what they do basically is, what they've done is taken sort of the most important, you know, components of, of, of the university unbundled it in the sense of like, what is it, a credential, a network and some education um, and in-person experience. And they basically shortened it by 95% and also changed, changed the business model around it. And so what Andek is sort of saying is like, yeah, that, that is a really powerful, there's, there is something about like this, 
you know, eight week or 10 week cohort that, you know, is a lot more cost effective and, and maybe 95% as good as this sort of like two year quarter of a million dollar or four year quarter of a million dollar experience. And that's not unique to startups. Let's, let's do it for a bunch of other, uh, you know, uh, categories who would also benefit from, from just a way more efficient way to, to offer that value prop. One funny line Bern, Bern did say was that if you do, if you think of college as a four year party on a night, you know, adjust a cost basis night, night overnight, it is a better bet than one Oak or some of these uh, popular clubs, which I thought was a, a fun dig. One thing I want to talk a little bit about is you, you've sort of coined this term uh, minimum viable audience. Uh, I, I, I want to transition into some of the mechanics here. Let's say we either pick a category, maybe it's a book club, maybe it's something else. What do you think are some of the, the key steps that people should have in mind for how to, how to get these off the ground? Totally. I mean, I like Reddit as a starting point. So I use things like redditlist.com, redditmetrics.com, stuff like that. I try to find subreddits are growing within the last 24 hours, seven days, 30 days. I pick a vertical. I join the community. Um, I do some research. I sort by all-time best. And I see what types of conversations are sticking with people. Then I decide if I want to go and build a product in that particular community, I either build a utility, utility being like something that they really need, hopefully on a day-to-day basis, a social network. Um, I think about the social network as how do I create something that's like five to 10x better than Facebook groups and needs to be that or else there's no point in it. Or a marketplace, buying and selling transactions. And then I 99% of time create a wait list for for it. So I generally uh, will invest in creating like, you know, we talked about goat, like goat had such a great brand. Like how do you, how do you do something similar where you create a brand like for, you know, green tea lovers, it's come up with like a word that they really love and that they resonate with and a brand. And you, you know, I think Silicon Valley under invests, invests in, in branding as at the early stage, you know, the, I feel like a bit of the narrow end design, you know, well, branding, especially like, I think logos are really important. I think names are really important. So spending some cycles on that. And then, and then, yeah, I mean, then, you know, minimal viable audience to me, that just means getting the community rolling, getting the flywheel rolling. And how do I usually do that is I recruit people from that subreddit, from those Facebook groups. I go on Twitter, I at people, I'll do everything I can to like literally guerrilla style, get the first hundred or 500 people onto the onto the product and I use exclusivity as a big way to build buzz. Yeah. I know. I, I love it. Talk, talk a little bit about some of the principles that for you make, uh, you know, communities really strong or even just how do you for, first, how do you transition an audience to a community? And then mm-hmm. let's talk about some of the do's and don'ts for, for community building. And I can share my Yeah. Knowledge. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think community is definitely, you know, on Vogue right now, it's really like trendy and people just basically use the word community instead of audience, but that's not what I'm talking about. Like an audience doesn't mean a community. You can, you know, you, a meme page with 35 million followers might not be a community. They just like memes. So yeah, the first thing is I see audience is different than community, true community. And then the question is how do you build an audience well, and basically convert them to true community. And I think that's like something that isn't really talked about a lot, but there's an opportunity to like, let's say you do want to create an app idea or something for a particular subreddit. You can just start with creating a meme page for green tea lovers or, you know, build the audience first and then convert them into whatever it is, you know, the sort of product that you're building. So that that's that's how I feel about audience versus community. And then do's and don'ts about communities. I mean, the way I think about it always is a, a community is essentially just like a, a good house party. You get a house party, you walk in, there isn't too many people, there's not too little people. You know, the music is just right. It's your favorite song. You know, you, you look around, you see some familiar faces. So it feels really good. Your dopamine starts hitting. It progressively gets better and better as time goes on and you don't want to leave. Like if you can think about developing your community as, you know, being a participant at like the world's best house party for you, then you'll win. And I think the big thing is like, how do you as the community, you know, if you're designing a community, 
you really have to put your, I mean, you have to put yourself, I guess, in the shoes of, of the true community people. And it takes a lot, you know, a lot of user research and a lot of really understanding, even if you are a member of that community to really distill that into what these people want. I think one thing that people don't appreciate uh, early on is that you don't, for the house party example, you don't just throw the house party or, you know, put the event up and then expect everybody to come. It's a lot of manual work at the same time. You want that manual work to seem as community driven as, as possible. So, mm-hmm. An example, the house party might be like, you want Josh Elman, who, uh, whoever just came to mind, to to invite other people, but you need to draft the text f- uh, for him to to send that invitation out. Um, so it looks like he did it, but you made it as easy as possible for for him to do that. And I, I thought of him because in product, like, you know, I remember he posted a product, and we were like, hey, can you uh, can we post this on product on your behalf? He said, sure. Oh, we had so he he didn't have to do anything. But mm-hmm. it, it seemed as if he did it. And the, the reason why that's important, not to lie to people or, or deceive people, it's to create precedents such that, you know, and sort of standards such that, oh, Josh is commu- in, in this community, I, sh- I should get involved too. And so people too, too, too often just expect people to just, just show up, but you need to give them the map, the directions, the time, keep, keep reminding right. them, you know, give them a special place at the party where they're going to see people, you know, just like them. Um, even if they're not going to end up staying at the, another thing I think about is like, who are the people you can get to the party that if you get them there, other people will want to be, and, and, you know, uh, club promoters know, know this better, better than any, anyone else. And even if those people are going to leave early or they're not going to, you know, stay in future parties, it, you got to light a match, like when you're starting something and it, it takes extra effort for, 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 for that to happen. Well, I think, I think that's completely on point. I think double clicking into the house party example, it's like, even be be more specific like you want to create a house party that let's just say you want to create a house party that a lot of people are dancing at. yeah so what do you need to do that you need a dance floor and you know you you know might need like people who love dancing to be the first people to be yeah. invited you know peter fan yeah <laughs> um, need peter fam <laughs> so so i think like yeah i mean you want it so that like when Greg Eisenberg walks in as, you know, person number 50 in this party. And I, I, you know, I open the door and I see like, whoa, everyone's on the dance floor. I need to go on the dance floor. This is the precedence that's been set. Yeah. And I think, yeah. So I think that's a really good point that you made. And the second, like in this case, you know, making it easy for people to share is really, really important because it gets people like them onto the product. For, for product hunt, we send the top 10 people every day, we sent them a te- uh, an email saying, hey, would you like to write a blog post about your experience? Here are some templates of, of blog posts. And here, like based on your numbers, like here's something that might be helpful. And they're like, oh, wow, you did all this work for me. Yeah, sure. It's easy. And that, that was great for us. You know, one tension people have with, with community building is, is how to best monetize. And, you know, sometimes people are like, should I charge a community directly? Or should I use this community to then get some other, you know, as a wedge for some other purpose I'm curious if your if your rule is basically like if the community has money to pay, charge them because they're more more engaged. I'm, I'm curious if that, that's your rule. I mean, one thing I thought about is that some some social companies are come for the tools, stay for the network. The old Chris Dixon line, but some are the opposite. You know, come for the network and then stay for the sort of like data or tool that the network creates as a result of it. So I, I think of like you know um, Quora. Um, you know, originally it was sort of this elite exclusive group, but they made all this, all this great content that encouraged other people to come to, or, or even maybe, maybe it's LinkedIn, maybe it's, you know, lunch club, maybe even like starts as this sort of like manual thing, but now they have all this data on people such they can create better, better matches. You know, they're not charging directly. I'm curious how you think about monetization of of communities and, and some of these topics. Yeah. I mean, couple, couple thoughts come to mind. Number four, number one is, monetization isn't bad. That's the first thing, like putting that out there, like it's completely okay to create a sustainable community and monetization is a part of that. In fact, it's a crucial part of that because I think that if you create something that, you know, the community leader is, it's overwhelming, then that's not good for the community. So create sustainable communities, number one. Um, Number two, think about monetization, only monetize if it adds to the experience. If it takes away from the experience and you feel like you're being a leech on the experience, you're subtracting value, 
then you probably shouldn't be monetizing. But if you're creating a monetization product where, hey, actually the product is now better, like the experience is now better. Um, I could, you know, if you're buying dance shoes and I can hit the dance floor and it's like supercharging the experience, that's the best way to think about monetizing communities. Okay, so here's my last question. You had this tweet the other day or the other week talking about how you had this job interview question around uh, a Instagram audience and, and, and how people would, would best monetize. I think it was for dogs. Why don't you sort of discuss the interview question and maybe share what are examples of a good answer to that question? I thought it was fascinating. Sure. So I think the question from what I remember is um, you have an Instagram account with 5 million followers. It's a dog meme page. You have 30 days to generate at least $15,000 per day. How do you do it? And it went pretty viral. I didn't expect, and you know, I didn't expect that many people to to uh, to respond. But the the reason I asked this question is because it it it's a really interesting way to get creative responses from people, and that's why it's an interview question. And the reason why I ask it specifically is Late Checkout looks at acquiring audiences. And we look at monetizing audiences. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, in terms of like cool answers, I got every, you know, there was like hundreds or thousands of people who responded. You know, I think the interesting thing is one of the more interesting ways, I think, is people who create subscription models on top of it. Just people who understand how to take the audience to build true community as the lens, like we spoke about. You know, I think a lot about, like, I have a buddy, Elias Friedman. He has a company called The Doggist um, on Instagram. There's millions of followers. He takes, it's kind of like humans in New York, but for um, dogs. So he takes pictures of dogs every day and talks about them. And he's monetized in a bunch of different really interesting ways. So, yeah, I mean, to answer your question, I think, like, subscription-based businesses are awesome. Um, And then starting with just developing a community and just people who answer the question with like, I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to monetize $15,000 a day. Like, I love that answer because um, like we spoke about, it's about like, you don't want to extract, right? So the people who like push back on it were my favorite answers. Awesome, Greg. That's a, that's a great place to, to wrap. This has been uh this has been a really fun jam on, on some consumer yeah. ideas. I, I love uh, continuing tradition. We'll, we'll, we'll get Dinch and uh, Galbert back, back next time. Why don't you um, just leave us with any sort of plugs in terms of what, what the audience can, uh, can, uh, can look, look, look you up on and, and where they can find you and your work? Totally, yeah. My name's Greg Eisenberg, so follow me on Twitter. Um, you can check out my Substack. It's latecheckout.substack.com where I talk about internet communities. Um, and uh, hit me up on Twitter. And uh, thanks, thanks, Eric, for having me. Yeah. Do, I get to say, do I get to say goodbye, everybody? <laughs> you can say goodbye everybody <laughs> goodbye everybody <laughs> amazing if you're an early stage entrepreneur we'd love to hear from you check us out at villageglobal.vc